wife asked Sam to come and uh, just kind of give us a, uh, a little update, short update, maybe testimony, just so that you will be encouraged to continue to pray and know what's going on down there in St. George. So Sam, come and minister to us. Thanks for all your prayers. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of things opening up for us there. I don't know how many people like fishing, but it's always exciting if you like fishing, which I, I really don't, but some people do. And I know that they get really excited when a landowner says it's okay for them to fish on their property. Right. You know, Wade knows what I'm talking about. He's really excited about that. Well, in, in the same way, there are some places that we, we can't go unless we're sort of bid entrance. And, and we have... Uh, We've been noticing that God's been uh, placing saved individuals in certain places that have been able to be a liaison for us. Uh, in, two, in two areas in particular I want to talk about a little bit is one, and be praying about this, a guy comes into the barber shop one day and we're talking to him. He says, from Georgia, his name's Blake. He's got a little family and we say, oh, okay, you're from Georgia. Have you found any place to worship since you, were, you moved here? And Are you a believer? And Do you know the Lord? And he said, no, we know the, oh, wow, well, we're believers. We're, we're, we're looking for a church. Uh, found, trying to, I tried a couple of them. Do you guys go to church? I said, well, we planted a church here. And so he said, oh, really? Okay. So he came to visit. He really enjoyed it when his family moved out finally. He just moved there. He's the offensive coordinator for Dixie State University football team. And this could be a really great opportunity liaison for possibly Jeff to be a chaplain for the football team at Dixie State. Another place is this guy I met um, in, I, I, I guest preached at another church in town, uh, a Southern Baptist church called the Narrows, and a guy walked up to me afterwards, he's from Kenya, and he's, he's going, he's one of the, he's the, uh, I think he's the assistant dean of the international students, whatever that means, at Dixie State University. Believer, he said, you know, what we really wanted to do, I've been trying to get people to start an international coffee hour. And nobody's taking me up on it. I said, well, we'll take you up on it. So we just now spoke with this last week, spoke with a university, uh, a university uh, representative, and she's the international student coordinator. She's set us up for once a month being able to have an uh, international coffee hour for our church to be able to come in and just love kids and, and tell them about the community and, um, and you know, obviously build some relationship there so we could bring them into our homes and feed them and love them and share the gospel with them. So God's opening up lots of opportunity. We've been sharing the gospel as often as we can since we've been down there, and we're starting to see the fruit of that. One thing I've learned in this church is the more you share the gospel, the more people get saved. It seems kind of obvious, but there's a lot of churches that just don't get that. I don't know what they're trying to do. Just keep sharing the gospel. People get saved. So as we continue to share the gospel, we're starting to see people Sometimes it's people that we've spoken with for the very first time. This last week, I could tell you about two guys. One guy um, came in very stoic, very serious. He's got a really rough background, and he really didn't understand the concept of love. So I told him about the love of Jesus. I said, you, you really don't know love until you meet Jesus. He's the epitome of love. His life demonstrates love for us. And I was able to share the gospel with him, prayed with him, and uh, he really wants to or at least he expressed that he wanted to pursue the Lord with us. Um, we'll see where that leads. I'll be praying for him. Um, his name's Brian. And another guy with a Mormon background, his name's Taylor. I've been cutting his hair for a while and just confess that he's really felt like he has been um, missing something in his life. He's just not 
living a fulfilling life. And he's, I mean, the guy's really popular. He's got lots of girlfriends. He goes all over the place. And, but he's not fulfilled. He said he's not. He just feels like he's missing something. And he really wants to come to my church, is what he said. Okay. So the Lord's starting to do things. It's very exciting. So keep praying for the grace of God to fill our team with joy. Couldn't have done it. The model that we have utilized, I believe, is very biblical. Coming out with a team from Laramie Valley Chapel. The culture of LVC is being brought to St. George, Utah, and it's a frontier. Less than, I, I, I don't think I'm being, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that probably less than 1% of that population is born again. Uh, so it's, and, and probably 90% um, have never really had a serious dialogue with a born again believer. So this is a really great place for us to be, to be able to, if, if you guys, anybody, is, is feeling like they want to go and uh, advance for the kingdom, be praying about St. George. Uh, come and talk to me afterwards if you'd like. It is, if you've got a job, if you've got a skill, St. George is the fastest growing metro area in the nation. So it's growing like crazy. Any kind of skill, you can write your own ticket. Like they, they need people with skills. So as far as job opportunity, there's lots of it. As far as ministry opportunity, lots of that. So anyway, that's the report. While you're praying for St. George, as he said, also, we're praying for more people to be part of that team. And so uh, you pray about that and pray for them, and then we get to be a part of the joy of that harvest. All right, we're in Psalm 19 this morning. The message is entitled, God Speaks. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. Lord, to us that know you how precious it is, Lord, I pray that we would grow in our study and our love for it, or that we might be equipped for everything you put in our path, that one day we might hear from you, well done. Lord, give us understanding this morning. I pray that I might be spirit-filled, and that, Lord, the flock might be fed and challenged, Lord, and if there are any here that do not know you as their own personal Savior, that today you would draw them to yourself. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love this psalm because it speaks about how God speaks. How does God speak to us? Well, three ways. He speaks, first of all, in creation all around us in the first six verses. In the next couple of verses, he speaks in his word. And thirdly, he speaks in our heart. He speaks in our soul. The heavens are telling the glory of God. And their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. His rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Paul uses these principles when he talks about God's natural revelation here in creation in Romans chapter 1. And he said that when man looks at creation, what he can see is God, his power, and his Godhead so that 
No one has an excuse because his, creati his creativity, his power, his beauty, the science of it, can, you can clearly see there was a creator. And yet, you can't get saved just because you know there was a creator. You're not a believer just because you believe in a God that created things. And yet, that's where Satan has won so many battles, isn't it? In our school system, it's taught as fact when really it's just another religion that these things just happened, that they just evolved. We as believers look at creation so differently because we see God's fingerprint on everything. We see his beauty. We see his sustaining power. We see his overwhelming power. I don't know if you saw the little video. I'm not attached as much to Facebook, but we were watching that tornado from a deck a few weeks ago. And Hannah was out there, and she's looking at this thing, and it looked like it was just like over here by the church. When actually it was so big, it was clear about seven miles north of town. I said, Dad, are we going to die? I said, no, we're not going to die. We live in Wyoming. We can see it coming for miles. I don't know what you do. And those other places where the trees are surrounding you, it just kind of hits you before you know it. But we can see it coming. We got a lot of time to hide. But I said, what we do get to see is God's amazing power. And that's just some of his natural things turned loose when cold air masses hit warmer air masses. Besides the stars that we see in the New Testament, we find out it wasn't just the Godhead, but Jesus in particular, the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, was the one who spoke the worlds into existence. And it says in the Psalms that he breathed out the stars. And then the one star that we have, really a little star compared to all the other stars in the vast universe that God has created, our sun, it affects everything. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Now the Bible says about those that reject God, the fool has said in his heart, no God for me. But even in that, he's rebellious because he really doesn't believe there's no God. He just says, I reject him. But you know what the Bible says about that? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Only then it'll be too late. Because then all that have rejected him, all that are written down in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire to be separated in hour to darkness forever and ever from God. And they'll be in torment, not just physical, but in mental torment because they knew they had an opportunity. And they rejected the knowledge that they have. So even those that live far away from where the gospel is preached, the Bible says in Romans, they have no excuse because they rejected the knowledge they had that they were surrounded with in the natural creation. And every day, the sun comes up and the sun goes down. And even while some people today try to make everybody afraid about global warming, I will tell you that global warming is coming but not the kind they're talking about. Peter says one day there's going to be a great noise and a great fervent heat and all these worlds are going to dissolve. Yeah, there's global warming coming, but it's not because we drive cars. Now, we ought to be caretakers of our own opportunity, stewards of the, the opportunities that he's given us, but ultimately God's the one that's going to bring things to a conclusion. And he said until he does that, Summer and fall and springtime 
and winter are always going to be apart until he decides to bring things to a, conclu- to a conclusion. And we know that he will. And time goes fast, doesn't it? The older you get, the faster that sun climbs and goes down, it seems. So you look back and just years have just melted by. Young people, especially young men I know, have that experience getting to junior high. I think, I'm never going to get out of here. Next thing you know, you've been out of high school for 20 years. Now me, longer than that. But there's God's witness every day. There's the sun. Every day it goes up and it comes down because God said so. He set those things in motion. But then he changes. And he goes from natural creation and natural revelation that everyone's going to be accountable for to special revelation. And he says there in verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Now, when he's speaking about the law, he's talking about the whole body of God's word, not just the law in particular, but it says the teaching of God. If you want to really understand it clearly, the teaching, not just the law, because there are two laws that govern us, right? There's the law of sin and death that all of us are born under because we're born sinners, But then in Romans chapter 8, verse 2, it says, there's also the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it's like gravity and aerodynamics. So you just don't suspend gravity, the laws of gravity, but if you take off in a plane, the laws of aerodynamics supersede the laws of gravity. So you have the law of sin and death. The soul that sins will die. But then you have the law of the spirit of life in Jesus Christ. And so in the scripture, we have the whole teaching of God, everything that has to do with life. And so the rest of all of these little words that he uses describe a different part of the word of God for us. He goes on to say, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. God's testimony, what he says about man, what he promises will happen, you can write it down and be sure that that will happen. Now, I love testimonies. We love to hear testimonies. Sometimes we've had testimony services in the past where people will stand up and share a testimony about what God did in their life. And you might say, oh, they're just bragging about how good they are. No, no. A Bible testimony, a testimony about your experience with God is really a testimony about God and his faithfulness to take care. So if it's you, maybe as a young believer, your testimony is you saw the word of God and the word of God said, put me first. Just trust me when I tell you to give, give. And you did that. And you didn't know how you're going to make it, but God told you to give, so you gave. And then God showed up in a supernatural way and sustained you or provided for you or protected you. That's a testimony of the Lord. More than that, when you read in the Bible how God protects his own, how he leads, how he guides, how he provides, that's God's testimonies. You can rely on that. God will be true to his word. So when we read the New Testament author by the Holy Spirit in Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, That's God's testimony about himself. You can trust that. You can trust that. He is going to protect you, take care of you. When you read Psalm 23, we haven't gotten there yet in our study of the Psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. 
He protects me. Even if I walk through the valley shadow of death, that's a testimony about God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the things that were written before time in the Old Testament, they were written for our encouragement, for our protection, for our instruction. Why? So we can see how God takes care of his people and that he never changes. He's the same God and he's going to protect us today. The testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. So maybe you don't know a lot about God, but you read about his testimony of him and you trust him. And what does he do? He makes your path straight. He leads you, he guides you, he protects you, he shows up. When you're obedient, and it looks like if I obey, what's going to happen? You can trust how God has been faithful to his people in the past. He will be faithful now. And it gives wisdom to those that are just new in the faith. The testimony of the Lord, it makes wise the simple. Then he says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The precepts are those, those principles that we see in scripture, those instructions, how we ought to live our life. Bible says you need to love your wife, honor your husband, love your children. Don't be a stumbling block. Be an encouragement to them. Now, the world, when this is the precepts of the Lord, those principles, they say, well, that's ridiculous. You don't have to do, you don't have to live your life that way. Be for yourself. Serve yourself. And they reject that. But especially, it's, it's an amazing thing when the word of God is taught and we love that. We're going to have a whole Bible conference. All week, we just spend time sitting at the feet of Dr. Bookman and other guys are going to come and they're going to minister the word of God to us. And Dr. Bookman's going to, once again, teach us about the life of Christ. And we're going to hear about those precepts and it's going to rejoice our heart. As those different guys preach, I always tell them, I love to hear David Grave preach because David Grave, he gets up and he speaks so softly, but he has this really sharp scalpel that God uses called the word of God. And so you get done and say, why does that make rejoice? Because I love God's word. And so when a preacher brings God's word, even though it's, it's very, he just cuts in there and does some surgery. The Holy Spirit uses preachers to use his word to do surgery in our life and we rejoice. Sometimes we hear those precepts say, oh, man, that's hard. How do I really put God first in everything? How can I really, as the Bible says, you love your wife as much as God loves the church, as much as Jesus loved the church and died and gave himself for the church. How do you do that? I need the Holy Spirit, don't I? That's what the scripture follows there in Ephesians 5. It says, yes, so you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And maybe your wives say, well, the Bible says I have to love and honor my husband like he's Jesus. Do you know a husband? He is not Jesus. That's why you need the filling of the Holy Spirit. But when a believer sees God's word, even though those principles and those precepts are, are really high and really difficult, our hearts rejoice. And you think, God can really give me grace to do that? To be faithful? To the believer, they hear these things and they go, oh, I want that word in my life. I want that to be a part of my life. He goes on and he says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. To a new believer, they come to the word of God. So many things are new. I think I told you before about one of my guys that had come to know the Lord. And, and uh, the next day he went out to, 
see if he's any stronger with the bar and somebody just smacked him in the face. The next day we're in the scripture and he's wanting to get even. And the Bible says there in Romans 12, don't take vengeance against anybody. And he's a new believer. He said, oh, that's not right. He said, it's the Bible. Yeah, it's the Bible. God's command. Don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. And so a new believer has to come to the commandment and go, okay, I'm going to trust God in that. And what does it do? It gives him insight. It gives him light. The Bible says, thou shalt not. So all of a sudden, a new believer is in a business decision. Thou shalt not lie. You don't say you can do something when you can't, or you can do it for a certain price when you can't, or the Bible says the godly man swears to his own hurt. So you make a promise you're going to do something, and all of a sudden you realize if I keep my word, that's going to cost me. But because you know God is your sustainer, he's your provider, you can say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do that job anyway, even though I lose money because I'm, my trust is in you. I can be obedient. And as a believer begins to just walk, and now he has grace to be able to be obedient and to keep the commands of the Lord, he couldn't do that before. And he's not doing it for his salvation, but now he has grace. He can be found obedient. It gives him insight. It gives him wisdom. It gives him purity. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. I was reading J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee, he being dead yet speaketh. You can sometimes pick him up on Christian radio station. He has that southern gravelly voice. I don't think he did, but like he smoked scars and, and drank a little whiskey. He had that great, just that radio voice, kind of like Pastor Garrett used to have when we heard him on the radio here in Laramie. And uh, I guess to hear his voice, but in his commentary, he said, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, that fear, that's just reverence fear. He says, no, it's more than that. It's fear. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. God's fear helps clean up his children. You see, the thing about unbelievers, when Paul does that kind of that uh, anatomy check of the natural man, one of the things that lasts after the, the cursing, bitter tongue, and, and all the steps that run quickly to do wickedness is there is no fear of God before their eyes. We that are believers, we don't have to walk around afraid, but we have a righteous, holy, real fear of God because we see his power. It's amazing. God takes his godly men into his throne room in the book of Ezekiel, in Isaiah chapter 6, and John the one who leaned on Jesus' breath, the one who Jesus loved. That's what he calls himself in the, in the Gospel of John. I'm the one that Jesus loved. He never got over the fact that he, one of the sons of thunder, got Jesus loved him. So the one that was so close to Jesus, he hears the voice of Jesus, and he recognizes it, but he said it was like a mighty rushing waterfall, like hearing Niagara Falls, and yet it was so clear and distinct, it was like the piercing sounds of a trumpet. And I'm sure his heart began to rise as he began to recognize, oh, that's my, that's my Lord, that's Jesus. And he turns and he gets just a glimpse and he writes down what he saw as his face is hitting the floor in a dead faint. Why? Real fear. Real fear. Those 
powerful, strong Roman soldiers, when angels came down to roll the stone away, just the appearance of angels, it says they shook and they fainted. So what is the real God? Psalm 29 says when God speaks, everything shakes, everything moves. Even the pillars in his temple move when God speaks. It says he breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes the calves, he makes the hinds to calve. And in his temple, everything says glory. When God speaks, it's amazing. And even when these godly men show up in a vision of heaven, what is their feeling? Isaiah said, as he hit the ground, I'm a man about to be ripped apart because I'm a wicked man and I live in the midst of people with unclean lips. I'm about to be destroyed. Such is the physical presence of a holy God. And what the word of God teaches the believer is the righteous fear of a holy, amazing, powerful, awesome God. Just look what he breathed out. Just go out in the sun in, in Wyoming on a sunny day and just stand there for a while without any sunscreen on, right? And we're how many thousands of miles away from it? Now think about the God who breathed out those stars. I told you before I worked at this factory, Gunite, that I ran a crane. And we had these big vats that we'd fill up, uh, big as big as a room. You know, they were, they were probably... 20 feet around, these big, huge vats, and then uh, you put them way down in a pit, and this big furnace would heat up all the metal and all the things you put in, and they'd pour that, so you'd drop that big bucket, that ladle down in there, they'd fill it up, and they turned that furnace on, and the whole place would shake. Such was the power. And when you're going to be a crane operator, they made me ride in the crane for one month, every day, 10 hours a day. Wouldn't even let me touch the controls until I got the motion of that crane and learned from that other driver because they didn't want us to be afraid, but they wanted us to have a, a righteous fear of what was going on because every once in a while, the bottom would come out of one of those ladles and there'd be molten going everywhere. So you had to know calmly how to get that away from the people and into another pit so it didn't hurt anybody. And our God is so much more than that. He spoke the worlds into existence. And when God says something to a believer, the fear of the Lord motivates us. It doesn't motivate the world because the Bible says they're dead. They're dead and their trespasses in. But we as believers whom God has loved, we have a fear of God. When a young man grows up, like I did in a Christian home. My dad said, Paul, you saturate yourself with the book of Proverbs. When my boys grew up, I taught them one of the first things I taught was about the 7-Eleven woman. What's the 7-Eleven woman? Well, in Proverbs 7, verse 11, it talks about that strange woman, that ungodly woman, who is loud, she is stubborn, and her feet abide not in her house. I said, guys, you don't want one of those. And the young man growing up in the word of God looks at what the Bible says about those strange women. Even though they have lips that are painted and, and they have words smooth in oil and their tongue is so sweet when they say, hey, big boy, you're wonderful. The Bible says her feet end in death. Her feet will lead you to hell. And a young man sees that and he fears because he believes God and he says, I don't want that kind, right? Because we believe what God says. 
God says, this sin will lead you to poverty. This sin here will lead to death. This one will lead to you having a weak, emaciated life. The man or the woman of God believes God. They fear the results of what God has said because we believe the truth. We go away from those things. The fear of the Lord is clean. It cleans our life. Then it says, the judgments of the Lord, they are true, they are righteous altogether. What God says about something is the right judgment. No one's going to get to heaven and say, hey, God, you got this wrong. I really am worthy of this or that. No, no, every mouth will be stopped because judgments are right. Now, we live in a culture that things are turned upside down. Now, our culture, our government, calls good evil and calls evil good. That does not change God's judgment. Because he said what is true and what is righteous, what is right and what is wrong in the Bible, doesn't make it outdated. And one day, they will agree with him. In punishment, they will agree. You agree with God before, or you agree with God too late afterwards, but you will come to the same conclusion. That all of God's judgments are right they are true. They are righteous altogether. Now, what does that righteous altogether mean? That right wiseness. The word diakados in Greek was kind of changed to an English word, right wiseness, that evolved into righteousness, right wiseness. And you see that in the words of our Savior Jesus. They'd think they'd had him trapped and he had nowhere to go, and they'd say, uh, should we pay the temple tax or not? Because he should be saying, only give to God. And Jesus said, well, let me, let me see a coin. They give him a coin. And they say, well, whose face is on the coin? Well, Caesar's. And he says, well, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And our heart rejoices in the wisdom of our Savior. They bring the woman taking the very act of adultery because they probably set her up. And Jesus' righteousness, his right wiseness, says, you that have no sin, cast the first stone. And then the Bible says he just stood down and wrote in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. Tradition says he just began to write out the law. And the Bible says they left from the oldest to the youngest. Why? Because old men have sinned more than younger men. At the end, our gracious, righteous Savior says to her, woman, where are your accusers? And she lifts up her tear-stained faith, face and says, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we as believers, we want that right wiseness. We want those words of wisdom. We want that protection in our life. What do you do then? Hide God's word in your heart. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man make his way straight? By taking heed according to the word. Then he says, your word have I hid in my heart. You're coming through scripture. You're reading your daily reading. Something really stands out to you. And that's not, no more the word of God than something else. But where you're at in your life, it's very powerful. Memorize it. Or maybe you're out, you run into a problem. You say, I wish I'd have known what to do. Jesus always had the right thing to say. I want the right, the right answer, the right thing. What do you do? Go find out. It's in the word of God. And then memorize it. So that you have your armor on, your protection. Because he goes on to say, the, the attitude about believers, about the word of God. He says in verse 10, the word of God 
is more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. It's value. See, when you come to Christ, you become a believer. Your values change. And you that have known Christ for a while, you would give your life before you compromised and said no to Scripture, before you said no to the Lord. Because his words are more valuable than gold. And it's the greatest pleasure because he said it's more desirable than honey, even honey right out of the honeycomb. Sweeter than that. Become his words. Why? Because when you go through deep trials and God brings his word to you, his strengths, oh, that's so, so salve. It's like the salve. There's a balm in Gilead that heals the sin-sick heart. That's the word of God. He goes on to say, we love the word of God because God speaks his word into our heart. He ministers. It's not just something you learn out here. The third part, the last couple of verses, he says, moreover, by the words of God, your servant is warned. You're warned. You know the word of God, so you know there's certain things you're just not going to do. In Proverbs, the Bible says, don't be a cosigner. Why should you lose your bed when you didn't get anything out of it? Your friend says, oh, I can get this car if only you would co-sign. Why won't they give you the car? Well, they say my credit's bad because I don't pay my bills. Well, uh, why would I co-sign? Well, because you're my friend. The Bible says, no, you don't do that. Your friend doesn't need that new car. And you don't need to lose your car because they're coming for your car before they go to him because you're, good. you're the one that credit. You co-signed. The Bible says, by the words of God, you can be warned. Warned about going with an angry man. Don't go with an angry man. Unless you learn his ways, you'll become like him. We already talked about don't go, with, don't go after the wrong kind of women in the world. Don't be around the wrong kind of men in the world. The wisdom is there in Scripture. By the words of God, God's servants are warned. Verse 12, verse 11 In keeping them, there's great reward. Not only is there warning, but we obey God, not just based on what we get in this world, but we know that the reward is eternal. And the greatest thing a human being can hear is from the lips of our Savior, well done, faithful servant. That doesn't always pay off here in life, does it? In spite of what the health and wealth gospel preachers, false preachers preach, oh, just just have a positive attitude. It's all going to work out, make you rich and wealthy. What about Jesus? No, that's not what God's word is about. It's about eternal reward. In keeping the word of God, there's eternal, everlasting reward. And we live for that. And Paul said, the little suffering you go through now cannot be compared to the great glory that we'll experience in heaven. The weight of glory is far much more than anything we might miss out on here because we value God's word. Verse 12, who can discern his own errors, equip me of hidden faults. We have blind sides, don't we? Things that we're just going about doing and Holy Spirit says, hey, have you thought about this? Or maybe you're reading in the word and you find out something, you say, you know what, I never realized before. But a believer takes note of it. Now, your wife, your husband, they're very good about maybe telling you about your hidden sides. I ask my wife when she's here for all the services, okay, which one, because I don't pick. We've got to put one on the internet. And she'll say, well, you said this. I go, 
what I meant was this. Yeah, but you use these words. Okay, we've got to either fix that or use the other sermon, right? And Because uh, sometimes we say things not, not even intending. Sometimes mine are like, I said Isaiah and I meant Abraham. Have you ever done that? You know, No, you've never done that. Lead people astray. We've got to throw that sermon out. But our hidden faults are those things that we're just doing and we don't know. And God grace you will bring a spouse or a good close Christian friend. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit to the word say, hey, hey, you got to deal with this. It goes on to say, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. What's the presumptuous sin? That's when you just presume upon the grace of God. You just say, well, that's not that big a deal. After all, you need to enjoy this life a little bit. Like somehow we have this satanic lie that's just part of our flesh that says in order to enjoy life, you have to have a little sin. So just try to keep a balance. It's like the alcohol companies that tell you, listen, don't stop drinking. <laughs> no, we go out of business. Uh, drink responsibly. And they get so righteous about telling you how to drink. They're just covering themselves. We told you don't drink and dive. It's not our fault. We sold to you to make money, but it's not our fault, right? Presumptuous sins are the same thing. You say, well, I, I need to handle my sin. Let me just, you know, have a balance of sin. That's presuming on God's grace. And if you're a little kid that grew up in church, in Sunday school, you probably had this illustration. The teacher would pick out one of the strong boys in the class, and they'd say, well, let's just show you what sin does. And they put one little thread around your wrist, and they say, break it. Yeah, you break the thread. But after two or three threads, you can't move. That's sin in our life. You think, I can handle this sin. The Bible says, don't presume on God's grace that way. You can handle sin. The old gospel song says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You not, dare not trust your own. People say, oh, I just fell into this sin. No, you walked in with your eyes open. There's not many sins. You say, oh, it got me. You just thought you could get away with it. You presumed you were strong enough to continue to say no and Satan was banking on that presumption on your part. And so the man who fears the Lord, and the Bible says, free youthful lust, you flee. But the Bible says, every one of us have this tendency. So he says, keep back your servant. God, work in my life in such a way. Speak to my heart to keep me back from those presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over because I desire to be blameless. And then I'll be acquitted of great transgression. And the last part, 14, talks about the worship of our whole life. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's what Paul said in Romans 12. Paul gets done writing that great doctrines of the salvation, and he comes to chapter 12, and he says, I beseech you, for therefore, brethren, because of God's great mercy, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. This is your spiritual service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good, acceptable, the perfect will of God. Here the psalmist is saying, God, my whole life, my whole life, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, I want to be open before you. Often we say, hey, Lord, I'll give you smoking. Yeah, but you don't smoke, right? You're glad to give God everybody else's sin, but those little ones, the righteous man says, God, you search me and you try me. You look for all those hidden places because I want even my thought life to be that which worships you. What a goal. How do we get there? 
How can we be that man of God, that woman of God that God says, well done? Hide God's word in your heart. Hide God's word in your heart. Make it be that which is your life, your sustenance, your very food. As Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Father, we thank you for your word, how precious it is to us. Lord, I pray that we'd be warned by your word, that we would grow in our love for the word, that would become more precious to us than gold, more important than the food that we eat. Lord, that we might become the men and women of God that you desire us, that you have saved us for, that you have gifted us to be. And then we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.